Well, good morning to all of you over at our Ashley Park campus and those of you who are joining us online. We are so glad that you chose to be here as we're continuing in this series that you just heard about called Gym Class, where we are learning from James, the brother of Jesus, what it actually means to follow Jesus. My name is Nathan Martin, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And so to get us started about talking about what James has for us today, I want to ask you this question. What is the dumbest thing you've ever said? Right? There may be a lot of competition in that category, but try and think about it. What is like the moment where you firmly planted your foot right into your mouth? You know what I'm talking about? You instantly regret it. Now, this would normally be the part in the sermon where I would share some story or anecdote from my own life about a time I said something stupid, but I don't really have a lot of personal experience with that, so sorry. I can even hear through space and time those of you over at Ashley Park who are laughing, and if you're not laughing, then that was kind of awkward for me to say that. But here's the deal. We all know what it is to say something stupid, right? We all know what it is to say something that we instantly regret. I have, you have too. And today, it's, we're going to discuss how this is just part of what it means to be human, to, to be imperfect, that we all say things that we regret. And today, we're learning from this brother of Jesus, this guy named James, what it means uh, to really choose our words wisely and about the power of our words. But You don't even really have to read what James has to say about the power of words because you and I both personally know the effect that words have had on us. You know, that we say things like time heals all wounds, but it's somehow like with words that that's not the way it works because some of us have words sticking to us that have been there since childhood. It's almost defined the way we see ourselves or see the world around us through maybe things that were said in anger or jokes that were made that went a little too far, or passive-aggressive comments, and the other person may not even remember them, but you do. I do. We carry around words that our parents or our spouse or a close friend said, and they didn't feel like a stick or a stone. They felt like a scalpel that was designed to perfectly hurt us where it hurts the most. Or maybe the damage was done not by words that were said, but by those that weren't. Maybe you've spent much of your adult life searching from relationship to relationship to just hear someone say the words that you never heard growing up. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're my daughter. I I love you so much. I love you just as you are. We know the power of those words. It's remarkable the power they have. You know, not just how damaging they can be, but how life-giving they can be. I I still regularly think about how every night growing up, when my dad would tuck me into bed at night, he would often sit down with me and say, Nathan, if I could line up all the little boys in all the world and I could pick any of them to be my son, I'd pick you every time. Now just Imagine the kind of confidence, the kind of joy, the kind of love, the kind of life that that brought to a young man to hear those words. And imagine the kind of guilt I felt that he never said those things to my brothers. I mean, I got two brothers. They're probably in the room, and I felt bad for them, but whatever, you know. The, the point is that words have this incredible power to them. One writer of the Bible best sums it up this way. 
the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. And really, by love it, what he means is that those who love to talk, those who love to speak, those who use words a lot, well, they will reap either life or death based on how good or bad their choice of words are. And so if you learn to respect the power of your words, well, then you'll bring life to the people around you. You'll bring life to your relationships. But if you are careless with your words, you'll bring death everywhere you go. And it doesn't even matter that you intentionally said it or not. I mean, you can accidentally do damage with your words and it doesn't change the damage. I mean, we've all said things. We say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And it's not that you didn't mean what you said. It's just that you didn't mean to say it out loud. But that doesn't change. It doesn't matter that it's on on accident. The damage is still done. In fact, you know this because if after this service, someone backs into your car on accident, it doesn't matter that it was an accident. The damage is still done. And, and, And the same is true with our words. And for this reason, James spends a great deal of this letter that he wrote to early Christians talking about the power of our words. You know, you've been saw on that little video that played before me that we've been learning over this summer from this book of the Bible called James that's written by the brother of Jesus. And James has been teaching us, hey, faith is not just something that happens in your mind or in your heart. It's a practical thing that affects every part of your life. And so he said, hey, this is practically what it looks like to have relationships when you're a follower of Jesus. This is practically what it looks like on how to deal with your anger when you're a follower of Jesus. And today, James is teaching us, this is what it practically looks like to follow Jesus with your words. So let's just get right into it. James starts this section that we're looking at today with this huge statement about the power of our words. He says this, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, I don't want you to miss how big this is. James is saying, hey, look, I know none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. In fact, I think James would love our church's slogan of no perfect people allowed because he's like, exactly. If you got a church, you got to have some no perfect people there because otherwise you ain't got a church. And James is saying the way I know that no one in this church is perfect is because we all say stupid Things We all say things that we instantly regret. We, we all have conversations that we play on repeat in our head over and over again, and we're just full of regret. He says, you know, if you could control your tongues, then you'd be perfect in every other way, and you could control every part of your life. He's saying, look, this is how hard it is to control your words. If you could only say things that were good and kind and honest and uplifting... Well, then you'd be able to control every single thing in your life. There there wouldn't be any struggle too difficult for you. He's like, hey, look, losing weight is difficult, but not as difficult as controlling your words. He's like, no matter how hard it is to quit smoking or to get control of your finances or to break an addiction, most of us know someone who's done those things. But we don't know anybody who has perfect control of everything that comes out of their mouth and never says anything they regret. We don't know anyone who's done that. 
It's almost like James is starting this section by saying, look, we talked about some really important things in this letter so far, but this part right here is taking it up a notch. This is next level stuff. And then he gives this metaphor to help us grasp how powerful our words really are. He says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want it to go by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses it to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. James is saying, look, you, you use these tiny bits of metal and you put them in the mouth of a horse and you can make this powerful animal go wherever you want. You're in control. The same way with a rudder. It's the smaller part of the ship, but man, it'll control an ocean tanker, right? It can, it can steer this wherever it wants it to go. And he's saying, in the same way, your tongue can control you. And I know you think it can't. I know you think, man, I'm an educated person, right? I'm a rational adult. I've done a lot of work on myself. My tongue doesn't control me. I control it. I say precisely what I mean to. And James goes, I know you think that, but I don't care how big a boy you are. I don't care how smart you are, how many degrees you have. I don't care how much work you've done to know yourself. No one can perfectly control their words. No one can do it. So your tongue's got control of you. Otherwise, you'd only use words for good and helpful things. But you and I both know you have set some forest fires with your words. And not because you're more terrible of a person than anyone else. Well, actually, I don't know you. You might be a pretty terrible person. But he's like, all of us have done this. All of us have this problem. I mean, I am very aware of the forest fires I have started in my life. My wife and I have been together since we were 15. And uh, she often, no one told me this when you started dating, that she would remember things I said that I don't even remember saying. And she t brings up stuff occasionally that I said when I was 15, and I don't remember saying it, but it was stupid and it was hurtful, so it sounds like something I would have said when I was 15 or yesterday. <laughs> and, and my wife doesn't bring it up in like the heat of an argument or when she's upset about something. She honestly is just often joking about them and bringing it up very lighthearted, but I know the reason she remembers it is because at one point in time, those words were hurtful and they did damage to her. And to imagine the pain and the damage I've caused to this person who I love, it, it fills me with dread about the words that I'm saying now that could be forming how she thinks of herself or how my children will think of themselves. This power, this destructive power words have. And your words may be the reason that you don't work at that job anymore. Or why you constantly keep burning down relationships with friends and you say it's because everyone's so sensitive these days. But you know the truth. Your words may be the reason that you're not married anymore. Or the reason that you don't get to see your kids as much. And all these things that you dearly love have been burned to the ground because of your words. And James knows this, so... He continues to warn us. He says, 
And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now, you can't miss that part, right? Your tongue is set on fire by hell itself. And I don't know what you believe about the devil. Uh, Studies say that even a fair amount of Christians uh, believe in a God, but they don't believe in a devil. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that we have a real enemy whose only purpose is to steal and kill and destroy every good thing that God wants to bring into our lives. And James is saying, hey, the battleground where that's going to take place, him stealing and killing and destroying every good thing in your life, where that's going to start in your life is on your tongue, how you handle your words. It's like James is saying, hey, look, you want to burn down your whole life? You want to burn down your marriage, your relationship with your kids? You want to burn down your integrity and your reputation and every significant relationship in your life? If so, then go ahead and be careless with your words. Put no time, put no effort into thinking through what you are going to say. Because this is where your enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy every good thing in your life, this is where he's going to start his attack on you. And in case you don't feel guilty or hopeless enough yet, James keeps going. He says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And if you're like me, you reread that last little part there and go, wait, no one can tame the tongue? I mean, what if I read a book on conflict resolution? No. Okay, what if I start going to counseling? Or what if I start going to church? No. Well, what if I just educate my... No. No one can tame their tongue. No one can do it. Don't worry, he's not done. He says, sometimes your tongue, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. This is like James saying, you kiss your mama with that mouth? And see, this may be the reason that you don't really care for Christians all that much if you don't consider yourself one. Uh, I end up having a lot of friends who are in the food service industry from teenagers that I work with around here, but also just friends I had from when I worked in food service before I got here. And I know many of them, one of their biggest frustrations is the Sunday morning rush right after church when Christians who just got out of praising and, and singing praises to God and praying with the same mouth, they treat their waitress like trash. The same, the same mouth comes out of the same mouth that praises God. This waitress who's made in the image of God is treated like trash. And James is saying, hey, none of us can escape this. All of us are guilty. In one moment, you're loving and you're kind and you're gentle with your children. And then the next moment, man, it's like a flip, a, a switch flipped. And you're yelling and you're making passive aggressive comments about how they've disappointed you and how you do so much for them, but they don't appreciate it. He's like, all of us do this. All of us know what it is to just flip the switch. Just right then, from blessing to curse. And now James 
turns the corner and he starts to talk about, hey, there's a root to this problem that all of us feel. So don't miss this. He says, does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And you might be thinking, what? What? The solution is fresh water or figs or grapes? What? What does that have to do with anything? James is saying, hey, the reason you and I can use our same mouth to bless uh, God and then curse a person made in the image of God is because we have a problem in, in our roots. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I preached about this other part of James where he talks about, hey, the root of who you are, your soul, it's being corrupted by this, this evil, this filth that's in our lives. It's like this image of God in you is, is covered up with filth and, and mud because of all the evil that's corrupting you. We have a problem at the, at the core of who we are. And so what James is saying is, hey, the reason you can't get uh, fresh water out of your life, the reason you keep saying the same stupid things over and over again and hurting the same people over and over again is because you are a salty spring trying to get fresh water to come out. Or in other words, hashtag you salty, bro. And the reason that none of us can tame our tongues is because none of us are equipped to do the job. It's the reason, no matter how hard you've tried, and you may have even made some progress, and hey, I'm controlling my words a little more, but I can't seem to get this perfect. I can't seem to get it right. It's because you don't have the tools you need to fix the problem. Your tongue has been set on fire by hell itself, and so has mine. We're saltwater springs that are trying to get fresh water out of them. We're fig trees trying to produce grapes. It's just not the way we're wired up. And then, James just ends the section right there. No one can do it. Nope, no one can do it. No one can tame the tongue. It's really powerful to bring death to everything. No one can do anything about it. And then he's done. And you're like me, sitting around like, did Thanos just snap or something? Because it's like everything just dusted and disappeared. All hope is lost. I mean, no one can do anything about this. No one can fix this. There's nothing we can do. We're all just doomed to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. We're all doomed to just keep saying the same stupid things we regret over and over again. That doesn't feel like it should be in the Bible. Well, don't worry. There is a solution to the problem, but you're going to have to come back next week to get it. Because... Or if the truth is, if you do our uh, daily Bible reading cha challenge that we've given you for this series of reading a book, uh, of reading a chapter from the book of James every single day, well, then you can just read a couple verses ahead and find out the solution. But the truth is, the solution is going to take so much time to explain. I don't have time to get into it here, but I'll give you the short version. You can't tame your tongue. You can't fix this problem. But God can. And I get, you may be here thinking, man, this whole message so far has been pretty much doom and gloom so far, and then you're just going to give me the easy answer of Jesus can fix it. That seems a little cheap. And I get that, and that's why it's going to take a whole message for us to talk about this. And so next week, we're going to look at this next set of verses that really isn't just talking about how we control our tongues. It's that part of controlling 
every part of our lives. And the answer comes down to, you can't do this, but God can. That's for next week, though. With the little bit of time I have left this week, what I want to talk about is what I'd call damage control at this point. I mean, I really do just want us to sit this week with the power and the weight of our words. It's so important for us to understand the kind of power, the life-giving power that they have, but also the danger and the kind of death that they can bring. And really, my goal for the rest of our time is just to kind of put some filters before us that we can maybe spread a little less death this week. You know, maybe this week the best that we can do is just stop setting as many forest fires as we have before. Speaking of forest fires, I was going to make a joke in this message about Smokey the Bear, and then I thought, I don't know if anyone, any, any younger people are going to remember Smokey the Bear, and then I found out Smokey the Bear has a Twitter page. Check that out. What's that about? Anyway, I just wanted to show you that. Well, look, I, uh, I want to give you some filters uh, to put on your words this week to help you pause long enough to choose whether or not you should say something. They're just filters. They're going to catch it before you speak, and then you can stop and think, is this something I should say? And these filters aren't necessarily unique to me, but I think they're incredibly helpful. So here we go. The first damage control filter we got to use is to keep our words few. Uh, the book of wisdom in the Bible that I've quoted a little bit already from uh, is known as the book of Proverbs, and it says a ton about watching what we say, and one thing that I love in particular is this. It says, when words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Now, I think that speaks for itself. The, the more you talk, the more likely you're going to say something you regret. The more you talk, the more likely you are to say something dishonest or unkind or to share some bit of gossip. And so instead of just always saying the first thing that comes to mind, instead of always jumping in on every single conversation, keep your words few. You don't have to have the first word or the last word in every conversation or argument. James actually says something very similar to this in a portion of his book that we talked about earlier. He says it like this. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Before you speak your mind or argue your point of view, be quick to listen. Pause. Think about what you're going to say and keep your words few. You'll do less damage. Another way to ask this same kind of filter question is, is this necessary? Is what I'm about to say something I need to say? If you're a parent, does... My child need to hear this complaint from me? If you're a spouse, does my spouse need to hear this criticism from me? Does my friend need to hear this opinion of mine? Does Facebook need another political post? No, we don't. But you know, the other reason I think this question is so important is that it reminds me that there are times that I need to speak and, and I'm not. There are things that are necessary that I'm, I'm not saying. Husbands, there are things your wife desperately needs to hear from you, and you're not saying it. Wives, your husbands have things they need to hear from you, and you're not saying it. Fathers, your sons have things they are craving to hear from you, and you're not saying it. And you feel all this gratitude. You feel how thankful you are for them, how much you love them, but you never say anything, and... 
we've said this before around here, that unexpressed gratitude, gratitude you never speak, it's basically the same as ingratitude to everybody else. It, it doesn't count. It doesn't matter how much you feel grateful. Unless you say it, no one else knows. Now, there are also things that you need to say, and you haven't because they're uncomfortable. There, there are people in your life who are blowing things up. They are setting forest fires, and you see it, but they don't. And, and, and you're afraid to say anything because you think, I don't know how they're going to take it, I don't know how this is going to go. But you need to say it because you may be the only person who sees it, and they need to hear that truth from you. So is it necessary? Then say it. And if not, then don't. And that leads to the second uh, damage control filter, which is to keep your words true. That same book of Proverbs again says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Most of the problems in my life, and I'm talking about me right now, have come because I have such a problem with honesty. My counselor says it's because of that last thing I talked about of my words not being few. He says, you're so impulsive. He goes, have you ever just said something before you even know whether it's true? You just say it, and then you realize it's not true, but because you're such a performer, you would be embarrassed to admit it was a lie, so you just continue to lie to perpetuate the first lie that you told. And it was like, yes, that explains everything in my entire life. I mean, I have lied to get out of trouble. I have lied to cover up bad decisions and addictions. I've lied to make myself look better. I've lied to spare someone else's feelings, which is really just lying to avoid conflict. And so this is a very flattering trait about me. But over the past year or so, a couple years or so, I've really been working in my life of, hey, I've got to figure this thing out. And so I've been putting this kind of question in my mind of, is what I'm about to say 100% true? Is it the full truth? Is there any exaggeration in what I'm about to say? Is there anything about what I'm about to say that's not the whole truth or that I'm using to make myself look a little better than I really was or that I, I really did? And Am I saying anything in this to try and soften some conflict I'm afraid is going to happen? Because once again, there are times that I need to say things to another person about their life and they need to hear it from me, but because I'm afraid of the conflict, I'm afraid of what the truth may do to them, well, I just end up not saying it. And we're hiding behind these half-truths to protect the other person's feelings, but really it's just to avoid conflict. And the truth is we think we're putting out forest fires when really we're not. We're just hiding behind the lie. And I don't think I'm the only one who does this because y'all look like a bunch of liars to me. So that's the truth. Well, we need to speak the truth in as few words as possible. And then finally, we should speak healing words. We should speak words that bring life to people and that build them up. Another early church leader named Paul said this once, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
Now, growing up in church, I heard this verse a lot, and I'd always been told that what unwholesome talk meant was that there was this specific list of words, and it kind of changes over time, that are swear words and cuss words, and that that's, what you, that's the unwholesome talk. But uh, I've been doing a little bit of different reading in this and hearing other speakers talk about it, and I'm pretty confident now that what he means by unwholesome talk is any talk that does damage to another person, any talk that makes them less whole. Any talk that makes someone unwhole. And so it's these words that we say that tear people down rather than building them up because as followers of Jesus, we were designed to go around building people up and being helpful. And the reason this is so important for us to get is because it reminds us that every person we meet is on this journey of either becoming more the person God made them to be or less. And somehow... Through the power of my words, this power of life and death, God has given me the ability to either help this person become more whole or to do more damage to them. And so I have to ask myself, is what I'm about to say going to do damage to this person or is it going to build them up? Is it going to heal something that's broken in them or is it going to break something else? Now, healing doesn't always feel good. So let's go back to it. Sometimes I've got to say things that other people don't want to hear. I mean, sometimes the truth I need to hear, it hurts. I mean, as the saying goes, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable, something like that. So making our words healing doesn't mean we, we don't ever speak hard truth, but it just means my job is to make sure, hey, I'm, I'm using words that are moving people towards wholeness, the kind of life God has designed for them, and not words that are leading them to further damage. No unwholesome talk, only what is helpful for building them up according to their needs. And everyone's needs are different because every person has a different personality. I mean, we all have things we are craving to hear, and and, and they're different kind of words. To feel fully alive, I need to hear different kinds of things than you need to hear. And so some of the people in your life, they need to hear affectionate words and approving words that I, I love you. I like you. I'm, I'm so glad you're in this family. Other people need to hear words of respect and admiration. I'm proud of you. You did such a good job. You always do such a good job at that. Other people need words that make them feel secure. Words like, no matter what happens, hey, I'm on your side. No matter what happens, we're together. It's, it's going to be okay. And some people, they just need space and silence. They need to hear a a few less words from you. Those people are called teenagers. But until we understand this, we'll go around just doing damage accidentally, and we'll never know that we're causing damage to the people we love. And so think through the people in your life. What kind of words bring life to them and, and build them up and make them feel secure Maybe you need to sit down with them, sit down with your family or your roommates or your friends and and ask them, hey, what kind of words do you need to hear from me that would make you feel more loved and more accepted? What what would build you up to hear from me? And maybe if you're willing, say, in what ways am I using my words that I don't even know, but I'm causing damage because I want to do better? Because our words have this power of life and death, and so we cannot be careless. We need to choose wisely. So let's do the work this week. 
Let's use our words to bring life and not death. Let's make sure our words are few, true, and healing. And then next week, we'll come together and we'll learn not only how can God help us control our tongues, but also control our lives and get back control from the devil who wants to steal and kill and destroy every good thing in our lives. Well, would you stand and pray with me right now? And I'd love to just pray a blessing over you that we would go and do that this week, that we would learn to speak life and not death. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus as an example of the perfect person who knew how to speak words of life always. God, we understand that you have given us the power of life and death, and we regret the ways that we have chosen to use that power to speak death, to do damage. But God, would you give us your spirit to help guide us and to help put these filters in our minds so we could speak life and to build up those around us? We want to be like you and to follow in Jesus' example. Give us the power to do that this week. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We will see you next Sunday for the next week of gym class.